Don't give up. Not when your hands shake and your voice aches and your heart is open more than you can bear. When your soul is overwhelmed and you don't know the answers and it all simply feels. Keep going. Keep going. We need you to keep going, to fight, to befriend the unknown. Mystery holds all our hope and by name, she is calling you. T-R-H Blue. That, of course, was the beautiful voice of... Kirsty Mack. And this is Jim McNeish here. Um, and uh, how are you, Kirsty? I'm well. I'm well, thank you. I'm super well. And how are you as we are starting this podcast, talking about overwhelm? Overwhelmed, <laughs> is it? There's, um, there's, a, there's an insight. So how are you in the space <laughs> Of overwhelm. Overwhelmed. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Absolute maelstrom. Um, <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think if I think back to th- that subject for me, overwhelm, um, I got overwhelmed 10 weeks ago. Really, really overwhelmed. It lasted a while. And um, I think it's putting everything else into perspective. This last nine weeks have been terrific. I've been good, it's been balanced. I've been a bit overwhelmed by work. I've been overwhelmed and daunted by this online world and Facebook marketing and Instagram interviews and all those things. Um, A lot of newness um, and new people directing my activities. New people saying, do this, do that, record this video, send this. Um, And um, I think that would have been impossible for me And so I think there was something in the overwhelm in disbanding Quake um, that makes us feel like a walk in the park. Like disbanding Quake was like leaping out of an airplane into the unknown and leaving a whole bunch of people on it. You know, Mm -hmm. the guilt was overwhelming and it was just um, scary. And um, that's why the psoriasis took hold, which is another kind of aspect of overwhelm. You get those kind of physical manifestations Um, But now we're in a world where people pushing, driving, controlling, and and actually moving me in a direction feels like the antidote of that aloneness of jumping out of the plane. It feels like, ah, this is the cure. And Mm -hmm. so because it manifests itself like that, this now feels manageable. This now feels okay because of the overwhelm I experienced 10 weeks ago. Mm -hmm. What about yourself, Kirsty? You've had a tough time. I've had a, yeah, last week was my, I will call it the overwhelm week. I think there's <laughs> been, you know, we've all been on the roller coaster, but I really struggled last week. I, um, I ugly cried a lot, which is attractive. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think I just, I don't know if it was like domino rally and everything kind of caught up. I think. I tapped into the emotion of the world. There's so many things falling apart. And I think good. I think it's good that they're falling apart. You know, the constructs of reality and life as we knew it is falling apart. But it was a stark reality to say, geez, it really needed to happen. Mm-hmm. It really needed to happen. And I, um, I really struggled. I, I struggled emotionally it's tapping into the emotion of the world, I think. And um, so, you know, that was, you know, we're having a chat there. That was the journey I decided to go on and that's okay. And, um, but yeah, I couldn't fit anything else in my head. I always know when I can't read, you know, I love my murder. 
Um, and if I can't read a book about murder, we know that, as we say in Scotland, <laughs> game's a bogey. That's right, it's a bust, the, the, the boss bust. <laughs> the boss burst. I'm away home. <laughs> Stop the bus. I'm off. Uh, yeah, exactly. Was I had that? You know, I was. I would open up a book. You know, and I'd get like a beautiful book of poetry, and go like, I say, this is it. This is it. You know, so I'm like, you know, in the space between us with John O'Donoghue, and I'm looking at it, going, and the words just it could I, not fit in. They bounce off your brain, don't they? Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And so, yeah, I think that. Um, I'm feeling a lot better this week, so good, that is good. good. To hear it. And there's a lot of learning that I got from it and realising there's a lot of learning and unlearning that I need to do. Um, so, yeah, there's, it's great that we record this now so that I can see I had my overwhelm week. Excellent. Good timing. It's almost as oh, if your subconscious um, knew. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Here, talk about this. Um, <laughs> so what do we mean by it? What do we mean by being overwhelmed and and what do we do about it um it's about losing our balance mm -hmm. you know i think most of us can handle a bit of stress a bit of responsibility some failure some surprise all those type of things mm -hmm. and um but when too much comes for too long we begin to lose our resilience um there needs to be some restorative activity you know so I was saying to you last week, it was, um, I think it was your 35th birthday or something. And, um, I like I like <laughs> and uh, you were, you know, going to do that social distancing visit with your parents. Now, just yeah. warning you that that's, that's hard. It's harder than you think. And so yeah. it's like, but, but what, what restores? Like, is it exercise? Is it time would be? Yeah. Is it, you know, all those yeah. type of things. And um, there needs to be that restorative thing. And we need to be able to see a future where the balance comes back. Werner Erhardt says that our lives work to the extent that we live in the hope of a preferred future. And um, overwhelm happens when we don't, when we can't see an end to the, the balance uh, restoring itself, when we can't see an end to this kind of this imbalance in our, our systems, um, we, we get overwhelmed. And neurologically, the amygdala are taking too big a role. They, they're meant to take charge in emergency situations, but they've got their hands on the wheel the whole time and they're not letting go. Um, and they are pumping us, you know, activating the adrenal gland, which um, gives this little cocktail of um, epinephrine or adrenaline, um, as we would say, and, and cortisol, revs us up for fight or flight, but it also shuts down the higher functionings of the brain. The hippocampus gets closed off and we are tactical and we are defensive and it's fight, it's flight. And if this is sustained, it has an erosive impact on the, the mind and the body. It actually has an inflammatory impact on the body. You know, mycerisis came up. Mm. Um, you get heart disease, high blood pressure, and our bodies sense it. Our bodies sense we're actually becoming less resilient. As time's going on, it's like, I'm not getting any more resilient here. Like I can't see a future where this eventually balances itself out. And we've all been there, some more recent than others. Um, and uh, we get to that place where we can't read or where we look at other people's behavior and we can't bear it anymore or our dander is up. <laughs> it's another way of <laughs> Victoria Wood would say it. My dander's up. Um, and we're reactive and our, our thoughts are just this crash. Um, and it's hard to stay 
cogent and we keep getting whipped back into fears for the future or failures in the past. And Carl Jung says that nothing changes unless we accept it. And unless we can be in the present, we can't do anything about it. And so this idea of all of this thing going on and I don't know the way out, mm-hmm. I don't see a future that's preferred, that causes the overwhelm. Add to that physical diminishment that kind of goes on with it, um, increasing sense of isolation, previously manageable tasks become too much. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's, that's really what we're talking about with overwhelm. And here we are 11 weeks into this crisis. Um, we've got sustained horrific news. Um, the world's on fire. We've got friends in the US buying guns. Um, there's still some worry about the financial market. People still losing jobs. I was speaking to somebody yesterday who's lost his job and, 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 and only finding out now so that we've got this other kind of thing going on with people where they're losing jobs now. And if we stay focused externally for too long and keep making this apocalyptic meaning of it, um, de- inventing depressive futures for ourselves. The thing I was talking to this guy about yesterday, I was saying, you've got to invent a future for yourself that looks at the financial upturn when it's going to happen. It's going to be like a, a whip around, probably, a, you know, she was shooting up 15% on the back of whatever recession we have. You've got to start looking to that world of, uh, you know, what could I do during this time? What green shoots are there? You've got to invent it and welcome it in because if you stay in this other world, you are going to feel overwhelmed and you're going to stay down there. And I guess that's the question. Is like, is that what we do then, Kirsty? Do we adopt the fetus position? <laughs> do we rock back and forward? What, what do we do about it? You know, what do we do in that overwhelmed place? What do you do? What did you do? I am... Um... So I think I did adopt the fetus position to start, <laughs> but, but you know we talk to people, we talk yes. to people. You know, there's evolutionary comfort that happens when we connect with other human beings, and and that's what I said to you at the start when we were catching up. Is and you asked me what what tipped you into a space of not overwhelm. Well, you said it far more elegantly than I did. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I used that English phrase, um, huh. and. It was, it was talking, it was talking to be, it was him being there and holding that space for me. And, and that was restorative, you know, we've, you know, we've got a snuggle instinct um, yeah. and that plays a massive restorative role. Um, and so that was, that was important to me. And because, you know, we've, we've talked before about Dan Siegel, uh, prof- you know, the professor of psychiatry, um, UCLA, and that, that is a great model because I understand we can, understand overwhelm through the lens of, of that model um, with effectively the window of tolerance. So we've got the element of hyperarousal means that the person's overwhelmed with emotion and can't think straight. So I did that really well last week. I was a case study. I was brilliant at hyperarousal. You know, you know, if we read any other books, it's, it's known as the amygdala hijack. So it's that dualistic, most primitive part of the brain it is ambushed and it grabs the controls from the rational brain. And it's just a car crash of conflicting thoughts, emotions. And I had so many of those that that's why nothing else would fit in. And so I, I was in a space of hyperarousal for a week of just on the brink of tears, consistently on the brink of tears. Mm. The flip side of that is the hypoarousal. 
so there's there's no emotion it's the person is detached they're 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 frozen they're they're unable to feel anything so this is all you know this is also a response to that amygdala hijack you know the emotions are just too overwhelming to experience so just too much the emotional brain shuts down um and so the sweet spot is where clients can notice what they feel Mm-hmm. They can name the emotion and then understand what it is compelling them to do. And that's the window of tolerance. And, and working in that space is, is important. And, you know, in a conversation, experiencing something in the window of tolerance allows a real-time dialogue, a proper conversation, a conversation mm-hmm. that really matters um, between two humans or more. Um, it's experiential. You're open to possibility. It, it creates a, there's a depth to it. Um, and so the individual is able to hold that emotion. They can experience them and they can go into what is the learning of this. They can mine yeah. for the insight. They can get that information. They can get better meaning of them. And so, so were you to last week put your finger on a little bit of it's this emotion, it's fear or it's upset or it's sadness or, or it's those things. Did, did the conversation with Billy, can he help that to happen? Yeah, it was fear and it was grief. I think ah. I, I felt both of those grief for so many things that we're letting go of weirdly, mm-hmm. but because I'm the meaning came from it that actually we are letting go of things that were not great actually so you know so i was able to mine for that and that got me through that so talking that through as you say was really helpful for me to recognize it and and to put a name on it and to say you know i'm fearful i was fearful of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing and 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 all of that was was kind of coming up and so you know that getting the meaning for me was so important that's t- that's amazing because I, I was doing a little chat on the webinar on bioenergetics and you've got that bit of type two in you Kirsty and, and and the type two can get overwhelmed with grief yes and it just sounds like such an achievement to have been able to sit with your grief which the type two doesn't want to do she doesn't want to be in the sadness and maybe a loss of a safe place maybe to be able to comment to be able to talk to be able to engage the, the loss of that place but actually when you started to look at what was really lost, it was good stuff, but you were able to be self-possessed enough to actually hold the grief, talk to Mm. someone, express it, and then actually make really positive meaning of it, which is the large element of this loss is actually a good thing for the world. Oh, yes. It's, it is, yes. (laughs) It is the, Mm. the biggest learning of our, of, of our lifetime as a whole, as a global population. And so, yeah, it was, you know, I fought against it to start with. <laughs> you know? No, I don't want to feel the trauma motion. No, no, I was, I was not for that. And, and so if, if we're then at the point where the hippocampus is up and running, then these negative emotions are then, we convey them to the neocortex and then it goes into the long-term memory. So the alternative is, as, you know, as, as I had experienced that, you know, I had a meltdown. I exploded. Yeah. Billy's like, this, 
I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> One, I don't have time for it. And two, yeah. Yeah. what's cracking off as I just <laughs> horizontal tears spritting onto his face. He's like, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Do you need me to sort your hair again? <laughs> exactly. Should we dye your hair? Should we cut your fringe? I can control the situation. <laughs> just, yeah. it was so gorgeous. He was like, someone said to me repeatedly, control the controllables. Um, yeah. And I was like, mm-hmm, that would be me. He says, what can you control right now? Is that I clean my kitchen. He's like, go and sit in the kitchen. Sit in the kitchen. <laughs> just like, so that was helpful. Um, so I was the opposite of the person that freezes, the person that detaches. Yes. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's an ab reaction there, possibly. Yes. So, and I think, you know, he was wonderful. And I think if we can help each other to, to sit with our worries and optimum arousal, if we can name them accurately, if we can get to that learning and mine them for that insight and form that useful and helpful meaning, then we will find them complete. We'll find them not being bad. They were, they were a warning. They were a signal. Yeah. They were something for us to learn from. Um, and we won't be we won't be hooked as much. We'll become less likely to get hooked by the stuff that's happening outside. And we've got that level of self possession, and we're we're choosing our behaviour rather than being provoked. That and yeah. and then that allows us that allows us to avoid the overwhelm. What, um, do you think sometimes there's a need for it? Like I, I mean, I think ab reaction probably less. So I mean, that's tapping into old trauma and stuff. So. But actually just a sense of being overwhelmed, a sense of giving into, a sense of going under. Yeah. I wonder, I guess my question is, is it all bad? Yeah. Um, you know, like we're set up with our beliefs and our attributes and our capabilities to react well in the current world that we're in. You know, we, they, they get automated. But when the world changes as drastically as this world has in the last three months, um, is there some <coughs> is there something about the the just melting away, the the folding away, the giving into that actually makes us more malleable and available to the new world that we're living in? Is is it is there an element of it that that feels right? I mean, like, how do you feel now? Do you feel like it, there is a as you look yeah. back on it, did it play a role? Did it play a, a benefit? Yeah, I think it was, I was, you know, for all of this is a reset for us all, isn't it? This is a re- weirdly horrible, horrific circumstances has been a reset that, that we needed. Mm-hmm. You know, this is about rethinking relationships. This is about rethinking work. It's about rethinking our diets. It's a rethinking health. It's about rethinking society. It's, you know, this is... A, massive this is a this is purging of the shadow you know mm-hmm. this is all going on and, and and if we can all play our part in that then you know that's our work as as young would say so that that's the work that we can do for the collective shadow and and yes this was needed mm-hmm. it feels that the constructs are changing yeah and whilst that's terrifying for some that is liberating for most. So what do you think this means for leaders? Like if, if, if some poor leader was managing you and me and we had me with my psoriasis 10 weeks ago, kind of running around like a madman, just completely 
you know, deranged with guilt. And then you kind of spouting horizontal tears and unable to string a sentence. And we're the leadership development consultants. <laughs> so take a moment, people. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We rethink folks, you know, but um if that's us, you know, what does this mean the leadership skills are going to be required in the future? It's it's a you know, it's human skills, isn't it? Greater human skills, humanity. It's about seeing past the horizontal tears and the psoriasis and <laughs> the craziness. Um, you know, and, and so so seeing past the complaint, the defense, the manifestation, whether it be physical, mental, whatever it might be, and, and holding people in that optimum arousal, that not reacting to those difficult emotions, because we could then get hooked, couldn't we? We could then, as a leader, we could get hooked to ourselves if we're seeing all those sort of things happening. But, you know, this is... <sighs> it's a space for handling trauma you know and yeah. and this is about giving people that space that it's not rather than it going to a therapist you know we can hold we can with grace yes. as leaders we can hold that space we can help Do people you know, handle that i'll like i've always had that growing sense that you know like you look back at the turn of the century and freud was the cutting edge in the 1900s you know and mm -hmm. And uh, nobody else would have touched it. It was highly technical. Whereas now primary school children understand notions of what happens to you in childhood, shows up in adulthood and, and stuff. And it used to be that when we were coaching, you would say, you know, people had been on an NLP program and you'd say, just be really careful. Don't go digging around in people mm -hmm. because if you come across trauma, you're going to need a specialist to kind of deal with that. Are we moving to a world now where we're going to have to expect leaders to just learn and mug up on things like trauma, emotional intelligence, holding, things that happen to us? Are we just all going to have to become more sophisticated at handling those things with people? And I'm, I'm not advocating right now that you go digging around for people's trauma and like experiment, but actually is that where we're going? Are we going to have to expect leaders, if you're going to lead human beings, you're going to have to become a human specialist? Yes. And, and emotional intelligence is previous to this, and this is quite, this is a very generalized and dualistic thought process that I, I bring forward. I think emotional intelligence before in the main was quite surface structure. Yeah. Here are the pillars, you know, this is like, but actually it's just like, yeah. And, and that's what was taught. Yes. Whereas now it is about actually what is the emotion? Let's start using the F word, you know, let's uh -huh. get amongst the feelings. Let's make sure that we can, we have been asking people how they're feeling and been waiting for the answer now. Let's ensure that we continue with that. Let's ensure that we can have we hold it. That's, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Can we hold yes. it? Yes. You know, because it could be like, this. Uh, it wouldn't happen, obviously, but at the start of this, you know, I was like, hey, I'm good, but last week was a, you know, and you're like, that's great. So should we just crack on? <laughs> you know, but actually that sort of transaction has been happening and it is uh -huh. a transaction. It's just yeah. like, yeah, it was a bit shit. Okay, super good. Um, <laughs> and so how can we bring hope? How can we give a good report? How can we contextualize challenges in a way that, that people can really do something about it? And, and let's, let's make sure that <laughs> unnecessary dysfunctional leadership isn't adding to the stress. Yes. Need no more, right? <laughs> we don't, and so, that, so leaders need to know what's going on inside of them. Yes. We need, you know, um, 
if we're going to help people kind of flourish in this capricious environment that we're in, this ever-changing, frustrating and emerging world, then loading our own unconscious bias and our own shadow, undone shadow work onto others is just no longer acceptable. And so leaders will need character. They will need to have done the work on themselves. Um, and you can't hide behind that power differential anymore because it's going to, we're going to be in a much more egalitarian place than we ever have been. And so therefore there is something that if you're aspiring to leadership, then aspire to human leadership. And, and, And some of that's going to be electronic, isn't it? It's going to be a lot of our conversations is electronic. It's, it's, you know, maybe there is some way in which we can usher in a new human way of working using AI, using feedback loops, you know, elements of biometrics how do we tap into that to enable us because we're having to have more communication whether it be via email or teams or zoom what does that mean you know how how can we really have the important conversations in this different medium i I watched ad astra and um oh there's yeah brad pitt's character Mm -hmm. actually gets biometrics taken of him before he's fit to fly. I wonder if we're going to see more of that biometric activity where they can detect levels of stress or dis-ease or those type of things. And and that's going to be part of how we keep people on a good place, keep them healthy, and also how we do this stuff more remotely. And and that, you know, our current level of consciousness is 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 about a capacity. <laughs> the tank's full. Yeah. Games are bogey with the current circumstances. So <laughs> we will have to think and we'll have to engage differently. You know, we will, we will have to experience these, these things differently, perceive them differently, feel them differently. Yeah. And, and this will mean, and it could mean a, a complete rethink about work and how we contribute. You've shed a thousand skins to become the person you are today. And if you ever feel overwhelmed by the many people you once were, remember, your bones have grown, but what makes them have never changed. Nikita Gill